So today we're going to talk about getting yourself out of a creative slump if you find yourself there. And as strange as it sounds, sometimes the end of summer or even the middle of summer is when I really kind of start to slump a bit. But I've been creating and I've been making things now for so long consistently that it doesn't happen as often as it used to. When I first started teaching, I... I know I've shared this with you before, but I focused strictly on teaching and I stopped, completely stopped creating. I'm the kind of person who likes to put a lot of mental barriers in my own way, a lot of excuses and reasons why I can't or don't do something. I'll I'll give you an example. When my mom got me my very first sewing machine, right? This was me like coming out of my creative slump or or having the desire, I guess, to start creating is when I got it. And I remember when I first got that sewing machine and I took it out of the box and I put it on the dining room table and I just stared at it and was thinking, I don't even know where to start with this thing. That was my first barrier that I put up. So then I just left it on the dining room table for a couple of days. And then my, my second time around, I cracked open the manual and I started reading and I was like, oh, okay, I can actually leap over this mental hurdle. This machine is not that difficult. I can actually figure it out, but it does require thread and I don't have any thread. So once again, it just sat there on that dining room table unattended until my mom came to visit and she brought her little sewing box that happened to be filled with thread and I was, once again, jumping over that mental hurdle until the winding of the bobbin. If y'all have ever wound a bobbin before, you know at some point it's just going to become this big, fat, nasty, tangled mess. It's going to look like a bird's nest. You're going to want to chuck it out the window. And when that happened, this time I left that machine sitting on the dining room table for a very long time. So long, in fact, I remember Mitch removed it from the dining room table and set it on the floor where it stayed until one night in the dark, I stubbed my toe on it. And I was hopping around saying inappropriate words. And Mitch said, if you're not going to use the thing, why don't you just put it back in the box? But I leapt over enough mental barriers and hurdles that now I'm I'm going to figure this one out. I want to be creating. I know it's what's missing from my life. This is what I was thinking all those years ago. So I became determined I was going to learn how to sew, even if I stubbed all my toes trying. The hardest part about getting out of a creative slump, I have found, is actually just getting the ball rolling. I had given up making for so stinking long that my created juices had like dried up. I didn't even know where to start. I didn't know what I wanted to even make. And it turns out that the start is the hardest part. So if you are in that place, just know it gets better. It gets easier. And once you get going, you have the ability to become unstoppable. I like to compare it to Newton's law of motion. Okay, so bear with me. An object at rest stays at rest. Y'all, I 
up until that point, had been at creative rest for something like seven years, the first seven years of my teaching career. And I wasn't going anywhere creating-wise. An object at rest stays at rest unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. Now, I suppose you could call my self-induced swift kick in the keister that unbalanced force. And that's what you're going to have to give yourself if you find yourself feeling a little slumpy. An object in motion stays in motion. Now, let me just tell you, once I did get that creative ball rolling, the hardest part, getting it rolling, it didn't just stay in motion. It has since become unstoppable. I mean, there are days, all days, all the days that I have more ideas than I have time to create, but it wasn't always that way. I would have time in the past, but I didn't know what I wanted to make. And that these days, that excitement to create and to bring what I, I enjoy creating into my art room that's what drives me. That's what gets me out of the bed in the morning. That and breakfast. I love breakfast. I'm thinking about breakfast. So if you find yourself in a creative slump, how are you going to get yourself out? How are you going to give yourself a swift kick in the bootay? Here's what I suggest. First of all, we have got to stop the negative talk. The harshest critic that you are ever going to meet is yourself. And when it comes to returning to your creative pursuits, you are going to need to tell that critic to shut up. Think of it this way. You would never, ever say the hurtful words that you say to yourself to any of your students. You would never tell an artist in your room, you're never going to accomplish that goal. You would never say, you're never going to show in an art gallery. No one would ever spend money on anything you make, would you? I mean, if you would, you might be like the Cruella de Vil of art teacherin. So if you wouldn't say those words, that negative talk, if you wouldn't say that to a student in your room, a budding creative, why would you say that to yourself, you who are a growing creative? Also, whenever I hear my students speak negatively of their skills or of their creations, I always correct them. I say, you can't weave yet. I say when they struggle those first days of weaving, that's what I tell them. And if you've ever taught weaving to young kids, then you know the importance of the word yet. Because when they do get it, and eventually most of them do, it's pure magic. They're so stinking proud and you're so stinking relieved. I mean, let's be honest. You knew that they would get there. It was just bumpy and sometimes seemingly endless ride. It always strikes me as crazy that we spend our days being so patient and so positive with words of encouragement for our students every step of the way. And yet when it comes to that person who matters the most, ourselves, we can be downright cruel. 
Well, I challenge you to stop that nonsense right now. You deserve every bit of love and nurturing that you offer those kids in your room. So stop the negative talk. And get the ball rolling now. Many of us, I've noticed, have this when slash then mentality. When I get more time and the kids are old enough, then I'll get back to painting. When I can afford a bigger house with an art studio, then I'll make my jewelry business. When I learn how to open an online craft store, then I'll sell my rainbow knitted thongs. If that's you, put me down for three, size medium for two of them, one large for Mitch. Here's the thing about the win slash then mindset. You are never going to start. I hate to tell you that, but you are never going to have enough time, money, space, or whatever else you perceive to be stopping you from getting the ball rolling because if you really thought about it, you discover that what's actually stopping you is you. The first step to getting out of your creative slump is getting out of your own way. So what are you afraid of? Hard work? Because it's hard work finding time. Failure? Who cares? Getting up from the couch before Netflix rolls over to the next episode of whatever it is you're watching? Okay, can we please find a way to remove that feature? Because literally all I do is let Netflix dictate how many hours of television I'm going to watch. When you look back on your life, are you going to be glad that you caught all those episodes of the Gilmore Girls or that you taught yourself how to sew or learned how to decorate cakes or opened up that online rainbow thong shop? If you're shaking your fist right now and telling me, easy for you to say, you're always making stuff. Also, the Gilmore Girls is awesome. Look, I get it. You are correct on all fronts, but... Me creating constantly was not always a thing. When I realized that taking my creative vitamins was what was missing from my life, I hit a wall when it came to rediscovering my creative interests. I mean, I had given up all of my creative pursuits for the last seven years. What interested me like before I started teaching was no longer interesting to me. I didn't care to oil paint like I had done all through college, even though back then it was that was what I felt like defined me. Oil painting was who I was. But, you know, after seven years when I took out my canvases and my paints, it just wasn't feeling it. It felt forced. It felt inauthentic. And not to mention I was bored. So I, I pushed all of those canvases aside and I sat down and I just thought, and I thought, what did I used to like to make when I was little? What did I like to make when I was a kid? And I remember I liked drawing and I liked painting, but what I really liked was embroidery and cross-stitch and fabric. I love patterns and designs on fabric so much that I have, I'm sitting in my sewing room right now looking around, I have a lot of fabric. In fact, I started collecting fabric and sewing patterns before I even had a sewing machine. Is that crazy? 
I just, I love it. That fabric and those vintage patterns, those were the things that on a rainy afternoon, I would, I would take it out and I would look at them and I would, I would dream. And it was then that I started to realize that perhaps this was now where my creative pursuits were. And then my painting professors would barge into my brain all uninvited and be like, an artist is a painter, an artist shows in galleries, an artist doesn't sew, an artist bears their soul on canvas, yada, yada, yada. If you remember my podcast about, you know, the difference or or f- the biggest fib I was ever led to believe, which was that you can't be an artist and an art teacher both, man, that stayed with me for so long. Like, I would have these flashbacks that anytime I would start creating, I was told that I wasn't being a genuine creative because I wasn't painting or or doing whatever it was that I had been led to believe made me into a true creative. All of that is just hogwash. That is like the definition of hogwash. And it took me a really long time to silence those voices and try to listen to the one that matters the most, mine. And so I started small. I knew I wanted to learn how to sew. And I celebrated each one of those teeny tiny little sewing victories. I began by purchasing these little quilting kits from the craft store. The pieces were already pre-cut and all I had to do was like pin them and sew them together. The fabrics were not my cup of tea. The designs were pretty ugly, but I learned how to sew and I started getting confident about sewing. And when I decided I wanted to make a dress, I drove three hours to visit my girlfriend Debbie in Memphis and she taught me how to read a pattern, how to cut fabric and how to work through the steps. And we had the best time. We stayed up late, we were drinking cocktails and we were sewing away. And I remember that night she was like, all right, Cassie, all we have to do in the morning is put in the zipper. And then we went to bed. And I got up the next morning. I'd like hopped out of bed so excited to finish this dress. And I remember going into the kitchen and I saw Debbie sitting at the kitchen table with the pattern envelope in her hand looking very concerned. And she said, so Cassie, you have a bust of 28 inches? And I was like, okay, I know I'm small, but I'm not quite that little. And she said, well, I guess I forgot to tell you that the first step in sewing is read the sizes on the pattern envelope. Turns out we were working from a pattern for adolescence. It was a vintage pattern. And of course, Debbie, being the sewing whiz that she was and is, she was able to fix the dress just by adding like a little section of fabric in the front. You, you can't even tell. And I left her house feeling confident that I could expand my sewing repertoire to become a dressmaker. When I hit roadblocks like putting in an invisible zipper, which literally is rocket science, you guys, or trying to sew in a sleeve, I take a class or I watch a YouTube video. These days, if there is something that you want to learn how to do, you can find out how in 20 different languages and in 20 different ways, so you don't have any excuses. So what is your when slash then? What do you perceive to be stopping you from getting the ball rolling? Or are you of the mindset that it's, quote, too late? 
because I'm here to tell you it is never too late to learn. Earlier this week, I was talking with a friend and she shared that she felt like it was too late. I'm doing air quotes. I don't know why you can't see them to pursue her dreams. Y'all, she's like 30 something. I'm like 40 something. And I laughed at first because I was like, oh, my Lanta, you are just a baby. But then I stopped and I paused and I thought for a minute and I, I understood where she was coming from because I've been there. I've been of that mindset that once you pass the threshold of a certain age, it's like game over. In retrospect, I think that the this like aging out mindset is just another form of excuse making. It's another way to make ourselves feel better about one, not figuring out our passions and two, not pursuing them. I mean, it sure is a whole lot easier to just throw in the towel from your comfy little spot on the couch and shout, game over, I'm too old, than it is to actually get up and do something. But I'm going to challenge you to do just that. If I can't inspire you to start hustling, regardless of your age, then here's a little list of some people who might. Vincent Van Gogh didn't start painting until he was 27. And that was after a really long resume of other pursuits like a preacher, a teacher, and a bookseller. Stan Lee did not create his first comic until he was 39, and he's considered the godfather of comics. Julia Child released her first cookbook at 50. Colonel Sanders turned his restaurant into a finger-licking franchise at 62. Laura Ingalls Wilder did not publish her first book book in the Little House series until she was 65, and Grandma Moses didn't start pursuing painting until 78, and then she wrote her memoir at 98. So there, age is just an unimportant number. But what will my husband think? What will my mother-in-law say? What will that judgy second grade teacher say about me in the teacher's lounge? Here's something that I have learned about people Most people are too busy worrying about themselves and what other people think of them to worry about you. It is crazy to think of all the ideas that I've pushed aside, all the dreams I've let go, all the days that I let pass without wearing some wacky outfit that I really wanted to wear, all because I was concerned what other people would think. People I didn't even know or like or respect, and yet I let them rule my thoughts and my dreams and my actions? Don't do that, because chances are they aren't even thinking about you. We're teachers. We spend our days trying to raise up our kids to be lifelong learners, right? Why then do we attach an expiration date to our own learning life is long if you spend it imprisoned by these notions of age and the judgment of others or this negative talk that you've allowed to move into your brain. I say kick it all out. Get the ball rolling. It is never too late. Getting that ball rolling is the hardest part about getting out of your creative slump. But 
Imagine what it will be like to have your days filled with ideas, your days filled with excitement to make something again, to create again, to say with pride, I made this, I painted that, I baked this. Look at these flowers that I grew. What is stopping you? Because I just done told you that all of those excuses you may have had, I debunked them. So get out of that creative slump, y'all, and make it happen.